On November 20th, 1969, a group of indigenous Americans that called itself Indians of All Tribes took boats in the early morning hours to Alcatraz Island in San Francisco Bay. The federal prison on Alcatraz had been closed for six years, and the 89 protesters aimed to occupy the island, stating that the 1868 Treaty of Fort Laramie required that unused federal land be given back to Native Americans. This was happening at a time when Native American livelihoods and cultures were acutely threatened by ongoing termination policies in which the U.S. government terminated the status of more than 100 tribes, withdrawing aid and services, and seizing millions of acres of Native land. Many of the protesters were Bay Area college students, including two of the group's leaders, Richard Oakes, the Nakwasasti Mohawk from San Francisco State University, and Lenata Warjack, a member of the Shoshone Bannock tribes who was attending UC Berkeley. As the activists neared Alcatraz, they bypassed a Coast Guard blockade, which had been set up after earlier takeover attempts. The group made it to Alcatraz Island and took it over. The occupation would become one of the greatest acts of political resistance in American Indian history. I'm Anne Bryce, and this is Berkeley Voices. Once they were on the island, the occupiers issued a proclamation to President Richard Nixon and the United Nations that said they would purchase the 16 acres of land for $24 in glass beads and red cloth, an equivalent price to what the U.S. government paid for Manhattan 300 years before. Everard Arreyes is a fourth-year Ph.D. student in ethnomusicology in Berkeley's Department of Music. What ends up happening when they first take it over is there's just like so much support from people within the Bay Area. They start getting like generators, they get like food shipped in, and there's, you know, powwow drumming. And there's, this is the stuff in my research that I'm trying to uncover now. They had like meetings and budgets, like they had huge plans for the island to really just become this amazing cultural center. As the takeover gained more attention and support, President Nixon ordered the Coast Guard to play a role of relative non-interference as long as the occupation remained peaceful. At some points, there were more than 400 Native people and their supporters on the island. Reyes's research looks at how sound and music were used during the takeover to capture mass attention and amplify the Red Power Movement, a civil rights movement formed by Native American youth in the second half of the 20th century. And Reyes explores how the occupation of Alcatraz, along with other acts of political resistance, led to big changes in federal Indian policy. Richard Oakes talks about in interviews that the ability to play indigenous Native American music on the island was just so fundamental that like first month that they were there. And he talks about, you know, that they would just play music all night long and just like around the drum that it was bringing together like Native American people from across the United States, but also indigenous people from like Mexico and Canada and South America and things like that. So music is just so fundamental and bringing together communities in this intertribal connection. Reyes is a musician. 
He plays several instruments, mostly self-taught. And he's part of the designated emphasis in Indigenous language revitalization program. So this connection among different Indigenous communities that happened on Alcatraz feels especially meaningful to him. My grandfather was Radamuri, which is an um, Indigenous community in Chihuahua and the Sierra Madre Mountains. I mean, in Alcatraz, it reverberates and it influences me when I read pamphlets of them talking about the importance of language and the importance of having a space for students to come and feel comfortable with their Indigenous ways of knowing. Even though that happens in 1970, it resonates with me now. And so I, I feel like I, I have that connection. The activists on Alcatraz were reaching and connecting with other Indigenous communities by doing interviews with local and national media, but also by broadcasting regular reports of the occupation over the radio. Using borrowed and donated radio equipment, the activists set up a broadcasting station in the main cell block. The first live broadcast of a show they called Radio Free Alcatraz was on December 22, 1969, on KPFA, a station in the city of Berkeley on the Pacifica Network. John Trudell, a CMT Sioux from Nebraska, was host of the program. So we see the ways that media was used, like radio, to really talk about the issues that are happening in Alcatraz. And it allowed for the Indians of all tribes to be able to control the narrative and counter um, like false information that was given by the United States government and things like that. Each episode of Radio Free Alcatraz began with Cree singer-songwriter Buffy St. Marie singing, Now That the Buffalo's Gone. Can you remember the times That you have held your head high And told all your friends of your Indian claim Proud good lady and proud good man written in books and in songs that we've been mistreated and wronged over and over Good evening and welcome to Indian Land Radio from Alcatraz Island in San Francisco. This is John Trudell on behalf of the Indians of all tribes welcoming you. This evening uh In the broadcasts, Trudell often spoke to activists on the island about why they were involved in the occupation and about their activism for American Indian rights. Here he is in January 1970, talking to War Jack, who two years earlier was the first Native American student to be admitted to Berkeley. And in early 1969, she was a leader of the Third World Liberation Front Strikes on campus, which resulted in the first ethnic studies courses to be included in the university's curricula. Uh, Lynette is a, a student at the University of California in Berkeley. And I understand Lynette had, pro- had some trouble there last year, last spring, because of the, United Na- uh, the Native Studies courses. Would you care to tell us about that, Lanita? I heard you were arrested there. <laughs> yes, I was involved in the Third World Strike at Berkeley for Native American studies. Uh, I was arrested for felonious assault on an officer, which is, I understand, is the usual charge that they 
charge the uh, some of the strike people with. Uh, my son is just leaving. <laughs> In the broadcast, Trudell discussed ways the federal government was violating Native American rights by restricting hunting access, setting unfair prices on tribal lands, removing Native American children from local schools, and providing inhumane conditions on reservations, to name just a few. Here's an episode in which Trudell interviews Burnell Blindman, a Lakota from Pine Ridge, South Dakota, and a student in social welfare at Berkeley. Now, I've never been to Pine Ridge, and I've been to the Rosebud Reservation, and my reservation, Sioux Reservation's in Nebraska, and I know how conditions are there. But uh, how are the work opportunities at Pine Ridge for Indian people? There isn't any work on a reservation. Uh, what, uh, all right, here's one thing I'd like to clear up. I know this used to happen to me. People find out I'm Indian, and they would tell me how lucky I was because I had the government to take care of me. Uh, somewhere along the line, they believe that I used to get these fantastic checks of great amounts of money to just do with as I pleased. Uh, this isn't true, is it? No, not on the reservation. It, uh, I know at home on our reservation, the older people live on Social Security and government commodities. That's about all they live on on the reservation, too, most people, except the people who work for the welfare. It, uh, now, didn't Pine Ridge also, didn't the government set up new housing there several years back, three or four years ago. Yes, but most of them are set up for the people who work for the government because they could afford to pay for it. Oh, it's... Reyes was first inspired to research the impact of sound and music of the Alcatraz movement after taking several Berkeley classes, including one called Indigenous Musics in Unexpected Places, taught by John Carlos Perea who last year was a visiting associate professor in Berkeley's Department of Music. Perea was born in Dulce, New Mexico, and grew up in the Bay Area. The role of Indians of all tribes in bringing an intertribal American Indian voice to that time period in the Bay Area that was central to me growing up, right? In terms of, I would hear people talk about Alcatraz, I would hear people refer to the importance of Alcatraz. Brea is chair and associate professor of American Indian Studies in the College of Ethnic Studies at San Francisco State University, where he was an undergraduate student in the 1990s. He remembers watching footage of the activist students speaking from Alcatraz and being so incredibly brilliant and showing what you can do, not just with academics, but with culture, with humor, with art. They showed, right, a kind of change and and continued to show for me a kind of change that I very much identify with. Perea earned his master's and doctorate in music from UC Berkeley in 2005 and 2009, respectively. He's part of the third generation of Native-identifying students in the country to earn a music research Ph.D., along with his wife, Jessica Bissett Perea, a professor of Native American Studies at UC Davis. That's just the Ph.D., right? If we went back further and we looked at individuals who came before us who were working with some of the folks that are considered founders of the field but who don't get the credit in the same way, right, uh, for example, thinking about folks like Francis LaFleche as just, as just one person, then we have many more generations who have come before us in terms of who have participated. 
but just in terms of institutional history being in a department right and, and pursuing these degrees we understand as as far as the research we've done so far that we're only the third generation of uh, native identified people with music research phds Perea says music was central in creating intertribal connections on Alcatraz and in sharing the experiences of American Indians in the U.S. Buffy St. Marie, right, is singing about now that the buffalo's gone. And, and, and th- th- those, those, those songs in that time period for her, right, they, they were historical documents. She was writing, she was writing about what was going on. Right, and then she was getting on stage and singing it. She was she was playing a song, but she was also doing the news. Right, I mean, she she was literally, you know, telling people what was going on. For Grammy Award-winning Perea, who this year is continuing his collaborative work on the Berkeley campus with the Center for New Music and Audio Technologies, says creating and performing music today isn't about leaving the past behind, but adding to it, remembering the stories of those who came before him and building on those stories, then sharing the stories with others. Last spring, Perea and Reyes performed together in Hertz Hall at Berkeley, Perea on the cedar flute and Reyes on the guitar, as part of the music department's 69th annual noon concert series. I have an auntie who once said to me, when you get up there, you're up there with all the people in the past, even the people that you don't know who made it possible for you to be here and who in some cases died for you to be here. And we have responsibilities to continue remembering, to continue telling these stories, to continue learning new stories, and to continue making sure those become a part. But again, it's an accumulative process, right? Um, we've got to try to remember as much as we can. And it's always going to be incomplete, which is why we need each other. Right? Because in that sense, those different energies coming together right, allow for that greater understanding. It's what Reyes aims to do with his research, to remember the stories of the activists on Alcatraz, and to explore how music, radio, and other sounds from the occupation influenced and continue to influence indigenous activism and laws concerning Indian tribal policy today. The occupation of Alcatraz ended after 19 months, on June 11, 1971. Leadership struggles and interlopers not dedicated to the cause were some of the problems that led to the protests' decline. At the end, the federal government removed the last 15 or so protesters still on the island. Although the occupiers weren't granted ownership of the island, the protest which people could follow by listening to Radio Free Alcatraz, was a catalyst for decades of indigenous activism and was a turning point toward Native American self-determination. In 1975, President Nixon ended the termination laws and implemented the Indian Self-Determination and Education Assistance Act, giving back tribes' rights to govern themselves. He also funded nationwide policies for Indian tribes, which recovered millions of their acres of land. 
Many of the activists involved in the occupation of Alcatraz went on to participate in other demonstrations and actions, particularly within the American Indian movement. In 2016, indigenous protesters stopped the construction, at least for now, of the Dakota Access Pipeline through unceded native lands on the Standing Rock Sioux Reservation in North Dakota. Lenita Warjack has said that the protest was representative of the spirit of resistance on Alcatraz decades before. The fight for indigenous rights, says Reyes, is far from over. And the occupation of Alcatraz, in his view, hasn't necessarily ended. There's still a lot of activism happening around it. And, you know, there's like a fine line between activism and research sometimes, right? Or sometimes there isn't something. And so it's hard to know or hard to say, you know, could Alcatraz happen again, right? Is it, I, I, I'm not completely convinced that Alcatraz is complete, you know, that it's over, right? I still think it's an ongoing occupation. And yeah, who's to say that Alcatraz won't happen again and learn from those, those um, lessons and, and learn from a lot of the elders and people who were there and what worked and what didn't work. And um, finally, complete and finish what a lot of activists started out to started out doing. Hey, little bird, I remember you. You and your dreams up higher. Than Every year since 1975, indigenous people and allies have gone back to Alcatraz Island to participate in a sunrise ceremony to honor the memory of the 1969 stand. I'm Ann Bryce, and this is Berkeley Voices, a Berkeley news podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs at UC Berkeley. If you enjoy Berkeley Voices, tell a friend about us. It really helps get the word out. And you can follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts. And sink in the waves and then rise resplendent Fly with your friends in a bee formation And sing to the flocks from your vantage station Out in the stars beyond a hell's dominion And rest at my feet in between migrations Little